All right, church, I don't have much of introduct introduction for this one just because we have gone through a couple of these now. So we've been doing hard commands of Scripture, and uh, this week is no less of a hard command. Let love be genuine. Uh, so that's going to be what we're dealing with today. And as we have made our, our way through these, no doubt we've, we've, we've gone through multiples already that have hopefully you have thought of and not have already moved past them. Hopefully you can remember the, the ones that we've already done. And hopefully to this point also you have recognized the fact that these commands have a multifaceted layer to them, but they're nonetheless that they're commands that come to us and ones in which we need to obey. They are commands in which we are to hold on to the same way that we hold on to God's promises. We're not to let go uh, of these things. So we've moved through, and we're coming up on this one right here. And uh, this one's a little bit different than I think some of the other ones, right? So we've we've done, you know, kind of we've done some some different hard commands of Scripture. But let love be genuine, I think, is probably the most watered down of them all. And, and not so much in the sense that people have forgotten love, like I think the church has forgotten forgiveness, uh, or any of the other ones that we've talked about, but I think this one has lost much of its weight because love itself has been so watered down within the church. The idea of love almost doesn't even sound like that great of a Christian distinctive in the church. It's just, yeah, love is the thing that gets you into the door, and it's the thing on the walls, and it's the thing everyone talks about and smiles about, and that's about it. But brethren, the the scriptures make love, I'll tell you this, love is the distinguishing positive mark of the church. It's love. There are other things that mark the church, like forgiveness, like we talked about. But the forgiveness is not a, that is the negative to be in sin against. What is the positive of the people of God? It's love. That is the positive distinguishing mark of the church is love. And we do not believe it. And I know we don't believe it, not because we don't think love's not in the Bible, but because we don't understand what love is. We don't understand what love should be, and we don't understand what love should do, and we also don't understand what love should speak for and what it should speak against. Our love is nothing greater than a watered-down soup that you can pass around to everybody to get a little taste, and that's about it. There is no depth. There is no richness to it. There is nothing to that kind of love but a watered-down fake kind of love. And I want us to be rid of that kind of love. Because love within Christ's church, amongst His people, the kind of love that Jesus Christ tells us to imitate is a kind of love that Jesus says, love because you've been loved the way that I have loved you. Brethren, if we're going to take that seriously at all, if we're going to actually look to Jesus Christ the same way we would for forgiveness and all of these other things, and we would look to Him to say, how ought we to love? You had better not think love is the easiest thing to do. And you better not look at Jesus Christ and the way that He loved and think you can imitate it. That simple. It's not the case. And I'm, I, I just, I'm afraid that we do that with love. It is just the one, and brethren, I'm telling you, I'm saying this because I think that way. 
if there's one of these commands that I think I already do well, let's love, and then studying this and I don't. Because if you were to actually spell out the way Jesus Christ loved you, you don't come close to loving the way that Jesus Christ did. And that's a good thing to repent and confess. It's a good thing to recognize. And here's the way that Jesus Christ loved. This command right here, let love be genuine. So that's our command. And here's where the tension lies, right? Here, here, here's where the rubber's going to meet the road. Let love be genuine. All of it hangs right there. I could say love, no problem. Flip our Bibles closed, sing the last song that comes up, we're done. But if I say, let it be genuine, which Paul tells the church to let it be genuine, you had better pump the brakes. You'd better consider what the Bible would mean and what it would say regarding genuine love. And so we, we better think that it's a big deal for us to think this way because we could state this another way. If I were to say, let love be genuine, and you're kind of just... You're not quite catching on to what that might mean. Let me read it to you, kind of the way Scripture lays this out. Because I think, and I want to give, oh, I said maybe not long introduction. I'm probably lying right now, but I didn't think this was introduction. But I want to give you just a little teaser of love so you can kind of understand why we're thinking about the command of love, why it is so important in Scripture, and why it is so weighty, and why it is so serious that love be genuine. And that's because this, the command to love is literally found throughout the entire Bible. Like Genesis all the way to the end. Love is a command throughout the entirety of Scripture. A command that you will find more than other commands throughout the whole entire Bible. And what, what, what does Paul say of love to the church in Corinth? He says there's three great things. And which one's going to remain? Faith? Hope or love? Love remains, brethren. And there's a reason for that. So let me, let me kind of give you this little broad overview. I want to give you a really small overview. So we read Deuteronomy 6. We read Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when I was thinking about love, I thought, okay, let love be genuine is very hard. And so I think it's, we could say it's a synonym phrase, is going to be that right there. Deuteronomy 6 comes to you, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your, like my kids, strength, right? Pause. You think that's easy? No. Because what, what does the man who comes to Jesus, what does he ask of him? How can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what? What does he quote to him? Quotes him that command. Quotes from Deuteronomy and says, if you do that and love your neighbor, you'll inherit eternal life. He confirms what the man says. He asks him, what are the two greatest? He says, those are the two greatest. You're right. If you do those, you'll inherit eternal life. So we can't think little of that command there back in Deuteronomy. And why would that be the command? Why would that be the standard so of righteousness? Well, because, brethren, the, the whole idea throughout Scripture is that you would love God. And that God would love you. I mean, why was the whole... Bible written for your instruction and for your knowledge. And that's because God intends to communicate to you what He plans to do. 
Because God in making you, God plans to dwell with you. God says to the people of Israel, what are you going to build for me? What are you going to build? Are you going to go build another temple? Are you going to build a, a nice altar for me? He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What will you build for me? And the idea is this. You can't contain God in that temple. The whole earth is his. And he intends to dwell in it like he dwelt in the temple. And he intends to dwell among a people, a holy one. And that holiness is not just their separateness from sin. It's their separation unto that holy God. It is their separation unto a God because they said, God, we want to be separate unto you. We want to be marked out for you. We want to know you. That is, and, and that right there is the entirety of the Bible in a nutshell. That is the entire storyline of the Bible. God made everything to dwell with his people. And like the question that you learn, if you ever learn catechism questions, what's, what's the first catechism question that everyone learns? Yeah, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that, you know, there's a lot that aren't right in there, but there's one that's right. <laughs> but brethren, that is the whole intention and idea of Scripture, is that God would be glorified by Him dwelling with the people, and those people in turn reflecting His own glory. And in doing so, they enjoy it. They find satisfaction in it because they love that God, and that God has loved them. That is is why love will be the thing that remains. Faith will be no more. What do you need to see if you walk with God side by side, face to face? What more can faith perceive at that point than your own eyes can't? And brethren, what hope do you have if you walk in the midst of God and God walks among you? What other hope is there to hope in? But Brandon, let me tell you this. That is all culminating in one thing you'll do forever, and that's love God. I just don't think that, I don't think that gives us enough excitement. I'm telling you, it doesn't for me. I can, I've, I've said it to myself so many times this week, and even saying it to you now, it's, it hurts me to think that that doesn't give me as much excitement as it ought to. It doesn't give me the joy that I know to quote in that catechism question. And brethren, it's because we've lost it. We have lost this idea that God has always intended to dwell on an earth full of His people because He loves them and because they love Him. And this would be getting us back to that reality. So we read that, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. Same thing we just repeated for Jesus in Luke chapter 10, 25 to 28, if you want to write this one down. Jesus repeats this same thing. I just want you to be utterly convinced of this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. 
Do this and you will live. But brethren, as we think about what I just said, of where Scripture is going, where history is going, what the standard is throughout the entire Bible, I would be amiss if I did not rack it up one more notch. Because it does. It gets racketed up one more notch. If you think that be hard, then listen to what Jesus Christ does. He not only repeats this commandment here. This is not all Jesus has to say about love. What does He give to His disciples? What does He say is the face and the standard of love for His disciples to imitate? And I'm going to tell you, it's steep and it's deep and it is something that is unfathomable if you would but take the time to meditate upon this. So Jesus clarifies for us in John 13 in very certain terms that the Christian's obligations, the Christian standard when it comes to love is going to be Himself. It is going to be Jesus Christ's person and work as what you ought to look to to mimic genuine love. So if you want to understand it, if you want to feel the weight, if you want to embrace the command for all that it would have to give you to love genuinely, then you'll look at Jesus Christ and you'll do likewise. Here's what Jesus says in John 13, beginning in verse 31. When He had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him and, and am with you, you will seek Me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I know I skipped 33. I should have mentioned that. I forgot to throw that out there. There was a dot, dot, dot in my note, just not in your head. But do you hear that, brethren? It's not just... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is that command given to do to you? You don't do that. You don't even come close to doing that. Who does that? Well, the Son of Man does that. The Son of Man does that, and He does it, and then He goes up one more. He doesn't just love God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength in an abstract kind of way, in a bare commandment kind of way. He does it by giving Himself self-sacrificially in love to His people so that He can say, I actually have a new commandment for you. The love that you once knew of is still love, but it has now been transformed and changed into Jesus Christ. So the thing that you now look to is Him. There is a new commandment, and it's that you would love one another the way that Jesus Christ has loved you. I hope there's weight to that. I hope there is a staggering weight to that, that you are to love people, especially one another, just as Jesus Christ loved you. You are to love one another. 
That's how you'll be known to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how we'll be known, church, to be his disciples. The world should be able to look like that, to look at us and go, whoa. Because the world can love in ways that Christians seem to love each other. They can. They can look very good on the outside. In fact, they can do more than most of you probably in this room when it comes to acts of service or acts of kindness. But to love one another the way Jesus Christ loved you is something that the world cannot imitate. Because it doesn't understand it. But you should. You should know exactly what Jesus says when he says, love each other like I've loved you. And if you go, what do you mean the way you've loved me? You need to rewind. Like you need to go back. And you need to look, once again, afresh, with new eyes, what Jesus Christ did for you. So that you would then understand what you are to do for one another. So let love be genuine, brethren. Let it look like Jesus Christ loved us. So, want to kind of stretch this and paint this out for you using Romans 12. But that's where we're at. That is what the command entails. That is what Scripture entails. That is where you find yourself. You find yourself here. You find yourself with that command. And now the question becomes, unto you, unto you, what are you going to do? What will you listen to? What will you heed? What will you take away from Jesus Christ and His command to love genuinely? What will you do? Will you put up another standard in place of Jesus Christ to justify your lack of genuine love in the church? Will you think yourself to be the standard of love? Do you think you love better than anybody else? Well, then look to Jesus Christ. Do you find yourself to be one who doesn't think you can be loved? You too need to look to Jesus Christ. You too need to repent. You too need to think that your filthiness and your wretchedness and your wickedness does not stand outside of what Jesus does for His people. His love is genuine. It shows no partiality, brethren. You're not cleaner or filthier than the next person. Jesus Christ loves genuinely, which means He loves impartially. He loves we ought to do the same. So I want to give you a few things here in Romans 12. I'm going to kind of bounce off of Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Just that first part is kind of be the, our foundation, our little anchor point. And then I want to kind of show you that these, these uh, little sayings, these little uh, commands here in Scripture are not random. And they're not unconnected to one another. So I want to show you a few things because... The question should be then, why genuine love and what does it look like? How do we practice genuine love? How do we cultivate genuine love within the heart? Because that, that, hopefully that intro had you thinking, man, that's, that, that standard seems absolutely impossible to hit. But brethren, the, the goal is to first show you that you can't hit it, then to show you to look to Christ and then walk after it. That, that's the way Scripture would present these things to you. Don't seek to be justified by them, but seek to be conformed by them. By all means, seek to be conformed by striving after genuine love. So, first thing, why genuine love? 
Second is going to be the ways of hypocrisy, and I'll go ahead and explain this in a few seconds. Three are going to be the excuses for hypocrisy. And then fourth is how do we enact genuine love in the Christian life? So this first one, why genuine love? Oh, I finally did it. I never drink water when I preach, but I finally did it. All right, so first one, why genuine love? And you kind of do need to ask that because I want you to think. Okay, Romans 12, 9, boom, plant it, plant the finger there. I want you to just read up a little bit or flip your page, whatever you got to do. Romans chapter 12. Even if you're a newer Christian, if you've heard any Christian verses that get posted or read or what, this is probably one you've already heard. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All right, so Romans 12, huge transition point in Romans. Huge transition point. This is what a Christian who understands all of God's promises that have now unfolded in Jesus Christ, here is how they are to live. You're to live that way. You're you're to, therefore, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice unto Jesus Christ for spiritual worship. So, as you get down to the command to let love be genuine, there is going to be a reason why. And first, is going to be very easy. It's going to sound very Sunday school. But it's because Jesus is the aim of your love. And I hope you catch that because we, we think loving one another is strictly a horizontal action. Meaning, I love and that love extends to you. You love and that love extends to me. And by all means, that is true. Hopefully, if we're saying we're loving one another, we're actually doing that. We're actually extending love to one another and it's a mutual thing. But what does David say when he sins? horizontally. Who does he first and foremost sin against? Actually, who does he claim he only sins against? God. And brethren, it's, it's the same. John warns us that if we can't love the brethren, you don't love God. He does the same thing that, that David does. He recognizes it. If you can't love the brethren, you don't love God. It doesn't matter what you say. If you can't love one another the way Jesus Christ loved you, you don't love God. Stop. <laughs> there's, there's no other caveat. You know, there's no left turn, U-turn that you can make to go around and go down another path. You're at a dead end. You can't love the brethren. You can't love the church. You can't love the people of God, all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, whatever. You can't love God. You can't do it. And so we need to think that this love, this let love be genuine, is first and foremost aimed at Jesus Christ. Because if you can't love his body, then you're actually rejecting him. That's not just a metaphor. You literally are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ on this earth. I don't know how all that works, but guess what? I don't have to explain that to you. My job is to proclaim it to you. You need to believe that. So if you reject the body, it would be like your hand telling you, no. Well, where are you going to go? You're my hand. What are you going to tell me no for? That would be you to Jesus Christ. You don't love his body? You want to reject it? You want to separate yourself from Jesus Christ's body? It would, be as, it would be as insane as your hand not wanting to be a part of your body. It's insanity, church. Absolute insanity. So genuine love has to begin with why? Because it's centered and it's 
forward-looking, and its object and its subject is nothing but Jesus Christ. And the reason why genuine love has to start there is because it will not extend to each other if it doesn't. You don't land on other people with genuine Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting love by accident. You don't, because the world doesn't. No matter how well the world loves, they don't land on Jesus on accident. You won't either. You want to love genuinely? You got to aim at Jesus Christ. You have to. You have to. Or you'll always end up missing the mark every single time. So Jesus has to be the aim. That's why. Why? Another. Why genuine love? It's because, brother, we need the warning. We are a people prone to not loving genuinely. We're just as prone to wander, as we always sing. We're just as prone. That wouldn't fit in the song very well, but we're not prone to love genuinely. We're just not. We are not a people to do that. We are a people who are quick to love partially. Which is why Jesus has to warn us. So what? You praise those who praise you. You love those who love you. Gentiles do that. Heck, you did that before you were saved. Good for you. You met your own standard. Congratulations. The world does that. And they've done it since the beginning of the world, since the fall. So we need the warning because here's where we're typically bent. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Brother, the reason you need the warning is because, in all bluntness, you are drunk on yourself. You drink up yourself. You drink yourself up quick. You love it. Which is why he says, but be sober in judgment. Have a sober judgment. Because you do think highly of yourself. Don't think you might. You do. I do. I think very highly of myself. And you do too. And you got to be warned. Cut that out. Because that is a root ready to come up and choke out genuine love within the church. We need the warning. It is there. Don't think because you've had one, you can be, you're going to be fine. Nope. You can't help yourself. You can't stop. It must be something that you constantly have to remember that you would be sober in your judgment. Do not think highly of yourself. You need to think lowly. And the reason you can do that is because you know who you have. You can think lowly of yourself if you know that you have someone who is exalted high. But if you think you're the one who's exalted high, you're not going to love people who are lower than you. You're going to always see them as lower than you. You're going to always think of them lower than you because you're here. But you need to recognize you're there and Jesus Christ is there. And that's how you can always ascend to love. You're going to love the beggar to the king on that scale because you're lower than the beggar. You have to heed the warning because we are bent on loving ourselves. We are drunk on ourselves, brethren. And the third thing, we're bent to love hypocrisy. Absolutely bent on this one. If you think you're better than the Pharisees and the Gospels, then you probably are one in your heart. What was their problem? That they didn't have scripture? That they didn't have the law? That they didn't know God? No. It's that they were hypocrites. 
They claimed to have something and then they, they actually acted in a different way. Or they acted in a certain way and they didn't have the inward reality. And brethren, we're, we're the same. Because listen, he says, love genuinely, right? Okay, that seems easy. But then what does he say right after that? Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Well, that's going to be a test for you. Do you love genuinely? Well, do you abhor what's evil? And do you hold fast to what is good? Because if you don't, you can talk about love all day. You don't have love. You don't have genuine love. You have a hypocritical kind of love. And we're bent on that. And the last thing is we need to see the higher aim, brethren. We have to see it. We have to see that Jesus Christ and His love is not just some checkmark box. It is something to walk in. It's something to enjoy. It's a person to be had. To lay down your life for others in love, to sacrifice for them, is to enter into the work and the person of Jesus Christ. It's to be filled with Him. It's to know Him in intimacy through that. It is not just a standard. It is not just a, I did my Bible reading today, I checked off my list, and I'm great. And you know why you might feel that way? It's because that's what Christianity's become. It's just become reading and check, reading and check, reading and check. Instead of walking with Jesus Christ, because you see Him to be the one in whom you're imitating, and in doing so, you actually walk with Him. You actually enjoy Him. You actually commune with Him in laying yourself down. Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but Jesus says if you lose it, you'll gain it. And do you believe Him? So that's why genuine love, brother. And that's why we have to be commanded to love genuinely, because all of those are at play. The aim has to be there. The higher goal has to be there. And we have to be warned because we are tend always to hypocrisy in our Christian life. And we tend to be full of ourselves, drunk on how great we think we are. So second point, here are some of the ways of this hypocrisy. So I want to read a couple verses here. So we just read Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let's read on a little bit. So he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So he, he, he gives a positive command, and then he attaches with it two negatives that are bouncing back with each other. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And I think the reason why he follows up, because this seems kind of random, right? Because if you're looking at this, it just seems like the, the, it seems like Paul was just like, man, dude, I'm 12 chapters in, it's time to speed this letter up. And he's just like, all right, let love, you know, and he's just like letting them rip. Um, but the, that's not the idea. Is it? Paul is giving you these little tidbits because he actually expects you to know them and then meditate upon them and then already know in your mind what you ought to be doing. Because here's the thing, church. I'm not pulling, I'm, and I don't want this here. We don't want to pull the, we're going to go two hours on one word here. Because no man can come up here into this pulpit and be able to tell you every instance in your life in which you need to be aware of these things. But what we can tell you is you better know these. Because I can already tell you, 
If I told you, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, you may not know everything that's good or everything that's evil, but I guarantee you there's things in your life right now, you know exactly what you ought to abhor and you know exactly what you ought to be holding fast to right now. I don't think I need to convince anybody in this room of that. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you know exactly what that looks like. I could have told you at 19, didn't know a lick of Bible, but I knew what to run away from. I knew what was disgusting, and I knew what to cling to, and I did. And I know you have too. So I can't give you every example here, but I'm going to give you a few because I'm going to give you the ones that Scripture would find it important to constantly repeat. The repetition should tune us into, I'm probably, I'm probably tempted in these. So here's the first way of hypocrisy, and I've already made mention of this, but I want to, I want to draw this one out. And the first way of hypocrisy is this, that you lack the inward reality of love, that you lack it. So keep your place there in Romans. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 13. This also be a helpful side note for uh, engaged people here too. You may not want this in your wedding after you hear it here. Um, but here you have 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. And I don't say that lightly. I'm pretty sure I had this read at my wedding. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, when you read this, this is this is not a con this is not a uh, this is not a fluffy love chapter given to just you know, make you feel really good, like lighting a nice candle or something. This is meant to, to kind of quicken you. This is meant to quicken the Corinthians because they were in love with spiritual gifts. They were in love with them and for their own gain. And Paul says there's a better way, a more excellent way, and it's very general. It's not one in which the spiritual gift is highlighted. It's the one in which you love. So what does he have to say about love? Well, here's how he, what he has to say about it. We'll get to three, but I want to read the first couple. Here's what you can have, but if you don't have love, beware. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Well, I'm going to tell you right now what I'm going to do with that. It's going in the trash, because my kid does that. All right, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, an annoying toy, like a duck that winds up and just goes and goes and goes and goes. That thing's going in the trash. It's obnoxious. But brethren, there... Think about that. You could have the tongues of men and of angels, but if you don't have love, that's how obnoxious you are. Don't have love, you're obnoxious. And that's Paul. That's God saying, I'm not saying that to offend you. Let Paul offend you. You're obnoxious. Number two, verse two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, which Jesus said you'd be able to do with the grain of a mustard seed of faith. Move mountains. But you have not love? You're nothing. Absolutely nothing is what you are. Verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my, up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
And brethren, verse 3, what other display could you imagine is more religious in its in all of its colors than giving up all you have and delivering yourself to be burned, de- delivering yourself over to be burned, but you didn't have love. Brethren, we're prone to lacking the inward reality that Jesus would call us to. That genuine love, to let it be genuine, does not need to be bolstered by spiritual gifts. It does not need to be bolstered by an outward show of religiosity because God sees through it, and even Paul can see through it. You could look really great on the outside, but if love is lacking in your heart, then it's a show. And that's what you need to admit that it is. If church is a show, if prayer is a show, if it's all a show for yourself, the inward inward reality is, is still there. It doesn't go away. And it doesn't get filled. It doesn't get corrected. It just continues to go on. And he says, you've gained nothing by it. All of your work, all of your striving, all of your pain, all of your sweat, even your death. I mean, you died. You expunged every ounce of energy and it was nothing. You gave up your life. Who cares what he's saying? Who wants to die and stand before God? And he says, you gain nothing. How many people did so much and sacrificed so much, but they did not have genuine love for God and for His people. And God told them, you gain nothing. Brothers, it's foolishness. Don't go on in your hypocrisy because you lack the inward reality. And and instead, listen, instead of confessing it, which is the Bible would tell you to do, He would wash it. He would cleanse you. He would restore you. He would fill you with the Spirit once again. All of those promises. You believe the lie that you can't come back. And you hide it. Or you don't think you're good enough to come back and you hide it. Or you don't think God's actually good enough to forgive it. And you still hide it. And that inward reality just rots and rots and rots. And then you find out you had nothing. And that hypocrisy is going to be exposed. Listen to what Jesus said. The people of his day. This is exactly what he told them. Matthew 15. Beginning of verse 5. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained for me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And brother, listen, church, preaching to yourself that you have the inward reality when you don't is is a man-made doctrine. You're convincing yourself by a theology that is not Scripture. It is not the Bible. You're convincing yourself and nobody else. Or maybe you got everyone else convinced, but you don't have God convinced. And it's going to be called out just like Jesus called out His people. You hypocrite. You honor God with your lips, 
You look great on the outside, but you lack the inward reality of the thing. You don't have the matter. You don't have the heart of the matter in the heart. And that's what you need. And brother, isn't, isn't that exactly what the, the parable is when you have the, 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 you have the tax collector and then you have the, 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 you, have, you have the Pharisee there? One of them standing there thinking he's very great. And by all means, he probably had a lot of advantage. He had the book. He had the people. He had the synagogue. He had knowledge of God. But he lacked love. He lacked an inward reality towards God and towards other people. And it was the man who looked real filthy on the outside. He looked like scum on the outside. And he, was, he definitely was a man who deserved to be looked down upon. Because he probably did cheat people. And he probably did sin against people. But you know what? He had love towards God. And it caused him to look down to the ground and ask and cry out for forgiveness. And you know what? You know the one who had the inward reality was the man who looked filthy. So if you think you're filthy, but you have that in your heart, then confess it and turn. And don't be a hypocrite any longer because that goes into the second one. The ways of hypocrisy often tail one another. The first, you lack the inward reality. So what's the second that always follows? You have an unwillingness to be exposed. Absolute unwillingness to be exposed. And here's the, where the hypocrisy continues to grow. The reason it's hypocrisy is because you claim to worship a God who forgave you, who clothed you in righteousness, and you have gone back to the dirty, raggedy garments that Adam made and put them back on. Imagine Adam. God comes and he cuts open that animal, blood spills before him, and he sews up the clothes for them and puts them on it. And Adam, Adam takes them off when he thinks God's not looking and he runs back over to the fig leaves that he put together. That's what that's like, brethren. That's exactly what that's like. It'd be like if I bought you something, found you out on the street, you're filthy, you're dirty, you're a mess, and you know it. He said, brother, go ahead and shower and here's some new clothes. Like, get it cleaned up. I want you to be healthy. I want you to rest. And because you wanted to be perceived as being strong and you wanted to be perceived as being one who doesn't need that because you're really okay, and you went back out into the gutter and got dirty and threw your old clothes on. I mean, what kind of mark would that be to me or to anybody who did that kind of thing to you? Well, what kind of mark would that be to you? What kind of person would that say about you? It would tell me that you're someone who lacks the inward reality. But even worse, you recognize it and you're just unwilling to be exposed. Brother, that's almost worse than the first. Lacking the inward reality is bad. But to deny it and to act as if you don't want to be exposed, that's even worse. I want you to look in Luke 6, 42. I want you to hear Jesus talk about this. So keep your finger at 42. I'm going to just read. I just want you to hear it. We often miss this sometimes when we're reading. We need to be a people who hear better. So I want you to hear this. Keep your finger at verse 42. But hear this. This is Jesus. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why did you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but did not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. 
And here's the progression. Because you lack that inward reality, and because you have an unwillingness to be exposed, what does it lead to? Your first excuse. Brother, you got a speck in your eye. Because you're unwilling to deal with the log jetting out of your eye. Think about, I mean, think about the hyperbole Jesus is engaged in. Think about a log in your eye. It's ridiculous. Like, it's like you would over, if I'm turning around talking to someone, and you hear me talking about this problem in someone's life, and you're probably like, oh, he's really trying to help them out. And then you see me turn around, and it's like, whoo, and this thing just, you know, comes out 15 feet shooting out my eye. You'd be like, is this guy for real? He's trying to tell, I can't even see that. Look at this thing, it's shooting out of his face. And that's the whole point, brethren. There's an unwillingness to be exposed in our hypocrisy if we are not simply one who is able to say, I have a log in my eye. But notice, Jesus doesn't condemn the person for having the log. He condemns them because they ain't willing to see it. Yeah, that log's going to hurt taking that thing out. But he'll take it out. He'll forgive. He'll restore every time. That is the way of genuine love, brethren. He laid down his life for you while you were an enemy. Don't think he won't take the log out. He died for you. But if you're unwilling to recognize it, he will not have you. Just think about that, brother. He's not an angry, mean God. And Jesus Christ is not some bad, stuck-up ruler. He is the most gracious, but he will not be a fool. He's not going to be fooled by this. Lacking the inward reality, unwilling to be exposed, and then thinking that you're more righteous than somebody when you, in reality, you have a log of sin sticking out your eye. Brethren, those ways of hypocrisy, they, they won't be met by anything other than Jesus Christ condemning you. I want you to hear this again in 1 Corinthians 13, back in love. And brethren, this is what you need to hear because I want you to have a hope in this. I want you to have a hope in the ways of hypocrisy because if you were stuck in those ways, there's a way out. If you can't love genuinely because you are stuck in hypocrisy, listen to what Paul would say when he speaks about the way of love. He says in verse 6, that love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Brethren, it's a good thing to not rejoice in somebody else's wrongdoing. It's also an even better thing to rejoice in the truth, and if that truth even exposes you. Do you believe that? That one is one you will often claim, and I've often claimed, I'll raise my hand right now. Oh yeah, gee, the love people who love, love the truth. They love exposing it. They love being right. True, true, truth. And then the truth comes at you, and all of a sudden, love doesn't love truth. <laughs> right? All of a sudden, the love bubbling up in your heart all of a sudden doesn't want any truth. But brethren, real love will love truth even when it exposes your own sin. That's how you know you have love. That's how you know you're walking in the way of love. That's actually how you know you have genuine love. There would be your first inkling, like a flickering of a light coming back on, then know you have genuine love. That you love that the truth would expose it. That you would no longer walk in hypocrisy. That you would no longer walk around as the empty shell of your life that you're now living. Expose the hypocrisy. Be willing to be exposed. 
Love the truth enough that if the truth were to pry open the door of your heart, you would be okay with it. Brother, we have to be. If not, we will follow up with this. The third thing, excuses for hypocrisy. This is found in Matthew chapter 6. just want you to hear all these. I'm going to say them if you want to write them down, but I just want you to kind of hear these. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 to 5. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your, le let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Because, brethren, if you're not willing to turn to Jesus Christ after you're in that deep, dark pit of hypocrisy, you will find every excuse in your heart to tell yourself that it's not as deep and that it's not as dark and that it's not as big of a problem as you probably know it to be. And the first thing that you're, gonna, that you're going to find an excuse for is that people praise you. And if you don't think that will ever sway you, you're a fool. I'm just telling you right now. If you don't think the praise of other people can't sway you, you're a fool. Because it can. It's happened to me. I mean, who doesn't want to be praised? Who doesn't want to walk into their job? Who doesn't want to walk into the room and everything you're doing is just being applauded and, and congratulated? Man, I saw you with your kids. You were so great with your kids the other day. Man, you were so great at work today, Aaron. You just did a fantastic job. Nick, you're just such a great and awesome guy. Manny, you just always have a smile on your face, brother. You just look so good all the time. Drew, always serving and loving the Lord. Who doesn't like that? Come on. You know you love it. Don't be, don't be, don't be timid to raise your hand if I were to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to. But if I should raise your hand, you all should raise your hands that you like to hear that. But Brian, that becomes the first excuse because it did for God's people then. And he rejected them. Listen, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. It was not an unrighteous thing to give or to pray. The unrighteousness comes in the hypocrisy that follows it by claiming to serve God when all the glory and all the praise went to you. That's the hypocrisy. That's where it goes wrong. Because Jesus doesn't say, never give again, never pray again, so that you'll never be tempted to ever receive praise to yourself. He doesn't say that. He says, when you give, you do it in secret. When you pray, you pray in secret. When you fast, don't act like you're fasting. Act like you've been working out all week and eating great. That's how you need to act. Because he doesn't want you to avoid doing righteousness. He wants you to avoid hypocrisy. Because the person who finds themselves not only denying the inward reality of their life, that they are empty and that they are a hypocrite, and not only that they're that, but they're unwilling to do it, the place that you would be even worse to find yourself is that the positives of that hypocrisy you enjoy. You enjoy the applause of others. You enjoy people thinking well of you. And the second one is you enjoy being your own standard. You enjoy being the own rule of your life when it comes to what's loving and what's not loving. So listen to Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 10, go to 17. I just want, to, I want you to read this. I want to follow up with one verse after this where Luke 
kind of concludes this section of Jesus' teaching. So here's what, it, here's what Luke has to say. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said all these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, brethren, you're probably asking yourself, what on earth is the hypocrisy here? Now, you may be able to see it at the front, but I don't think you see what's behind it. Because there is a connecting verse to this that comes at the end of all of Jesus' teaching. And I want you to hear this, because I want to see your face change if you put the connection together. So this is an awesome game for me. So Luke 16, just want you to hear this. Luke chapter 16, verse 14. This is Jesus talking about the law and the kingdom. And here is divine commentary. God himself is commenting on these Pharisees' hearts to tell you what's motivating somebody to not allow a woman to be healed in God's place. But you know what? They'll for dang sure go out and get their ox on the Sabbath. And he tells you why. Verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. You putting it together? Who's going to be the man who's going to go get his ox or go get his donkey on the Sabbath, but isn't going to give himself to the healing of a woman? Because there's money involved, brethren. Oxen cost a penny or two back in those days. Even a donkey's not cheap. It's probably your livelihood. Probably something they would have said, God bless me with that. No way, I'm letting that go. That's the blessing of God right there. I mean, think of Abraham. Abraham leaves and he travels through. And all these, all these Gentile kings are giving him all this stuff. I mean, he's loaded. Abraham is rich. Job, richest man in his, probably where he lived. I mean, you have a lot of this. And they're thinking, heck yeah, on the Sabbath day, of course. Mercy on the Sabbath, right? God allows mercy on the Sabbath day. He allows to, us to go do those things. So my ox goes, well, for sure, I'm going to go get it, right? What's the outward reality coming out? Love. And what's the inward reality? Greedy for money. You, you see that now? That's why they won't let that woman be healed. That's why you could get somebody as cold and as heartless as this. Hey, there's six days where you can do that kind of stuff. This is the Sabbath, buddy. Go do it a different day. We don't heal on the Sabbath. He says, you hypocrite. You claim to love the things of the Lord. You claim to love the Sabbath day, which was given as a day of rest and mercy for you. And you won't even help a woman, but you'll dang sure go get your money. You act like you love God. 
You think that you love God, but in fact, you've set up your own rules. You set up your own arbitrary standards, and you're willing to follow that if it pays right. Brother, that's an excuse. That's an excuse you're willing to make in your life. You are in trouble. If you want people to think well of you, if you want to rule yourself, that is the epitome, brethren, of this last thing. Self-righteousness. And this is where you can be so convinced that you love other people and you really don't. You are just so bought into your own righteousness, your own goodness, your own standard, your own unwillingness to look in and see the inward reality exposed. You become self-righteous. And listen, listen. The world is like this. We all know this. This is a very easy thing to point out. Right? I, I, get, I could spend all day up here telling you how bad the world is, how bad the world is. The world does this. The world does this. Go flip on the news. Go flip on Fox. I'll tell you how crappy the world is. Brethren, we know, right? But we know where the world's going. So we're not going to dwell on that. Let's look at the church. Let's look at our lives. Forget the world. They're running to hell. We're going to preach and cry out and grab them to not go. But if they go, they go. But brethren, we ought not to be running with them. We ought not to be going down the same path. We ought not to be self-righteous because there's worldly hypocrites. But let me tell you what, there is thing as a Christian hypocrite. And Jesus is calling them out. And he's telling us, love genuinely, brethren. Love genuinely. Because the, the thing that's coming is you begin to abhor what is good and you cling on to that which is evil because you have thought yourself to be the standard. You're righteous in yourself, you love yourself, and you are unwilling to face the inward reality. And so that's where you're at. You're just like the world. And you're actually running on the same path as them. And you're going down the same path as them. And that's why Paul would have to pack in to one little phrase, let love be genuine, and then to say, abhor what is evil and cling to what is is good. Why, brethren? Because if you abhor what it's evil, you're not just going to give the icky face to it. You're going to do something about it. Why? Because then you're going to cling fast to something that's good. You're going to do something about it. And, and brethren, if that's all that we can find in ourselves, is that we're willing to begin there, then praise the Lord. Ask more for that. Pray for more of that. Do more in that. Because that at least you see Lord, I want to love genuinely. I need to turn away from this and I need to cling to what's good. I need to abhor this. I need to do something about this. But don't be caught up. If you're caught up in the ways of hypocrisy, then I guarantee you, you'll be caught up in its excuses. And you will camouflage it all day long in love, just like the hypocrites did. Love in the Sabbath. Love in the mercy being poured out on the Sabbath for their oxen and their donkeys, but not for someone who really needed mercy. They're like the people that Jesus says, you've forgotten the weightier your matters of the law. You're going you're gonna to tie the tenth year and tie the tenth year, but you could care less about the poor. You could care less about those who don't look like you, and you could care less about justice. Brethren, how do we counter this? Here's a, here's a few things I want to give you as we wrap up. How do we counter this hypocritical love? And how do we begin to let love be genuine? I just want to give you a few things in here. It's right here in Romans 12. He kind of tells you how to do this. Because before, he lists off all these gifts within the church. 
And all of these gifts have the same function. It's to serve one another. And it's not only to serve one another, it's actually in service to Christ because you're in one body with Jesus Christ. So all of these different giftings are given for that purpose. All of them are given. So when he says, let love be genuine, he has these things in mind. Listen, all of us in here, even though we're not a lot right now, we all have different giftings in here. And brethren, listen, the reality is this too. We all have different measures of that gift too. We all have different measures of faith. And we need to embrace that now as a church. We don't want to be the church where every guy in the church is going to think they're going to get prepped up and think they're going to go in and we're just looking for nothing in this church besides either missionaries or preachers. Brethren, we need to understand that the Lord has measured out faith to each one of us in different measures. And you are to take that and you are to run with it and you are to serve the body well. Because when you do so with love, you're actually agreeing with Jesus Christ who gave you that measure of faith. You're saying, Jesus, I'm th thank you. I agree with you with this. This is what you have made me to do. And there is much honor in that. Men, it doesn't matter if you never stand up here and preach or never go out onto the mission field, but if you would do well to serve the church well here and see the gospel being proclaimed in Las Vegas, that's honorable. And you will be honored in this church for that. Ladies, same thing. You think it little to raise these little ones in this church? You think it little to raise them as Christians? You think it little to do the house chores and do all these things to the glory of Jesus Christ and never step foot in Brazil and never step foot in India and never step foot in China? Now, if the Lord calls you, praise the Lord, we're going to send you. But if not, He's given you a measure of faith and it is God honoring. and We will honor that in this church. Brethren, the whole point is that when you let that love be genuine, it has to flow out with you recognizing what the measure of faith God has given unto you and being content with it. Second thing. This is going to sound cliche, but I don't care. You need to look to Christ. Period. And not to the law. Period. I mean what I said earlier. If you just look to reading scripture once a day and checking off a goodness marker, you will not experience genuine love because genuine love bleeds. Genuine love walks. And genuine love gets their hands dirty. And it gets hurt. And it gets wronged. But it knows what love is because it's seen love in Jesus Christ. You don't look at love on words, brethren. You look at Jesus Christ. That's what you need. You need to see Jesus Christ more and more. That's why you need to read the Gospels. You need to see Him walking. You need to see Him doing. You need to see Him acting. And you need to fall in love with that. You need to fall in love with Him. And then you need to go out and imitate Him. You want to be like Him. And if you see men in the church like that, you see men like Nick, you see men like Manny, you see men like Drew, you see men like Pablo, whoever it may be, and they're walking like that, you walk like them too. Brethren, you look to the walking, living, spirit-empowered example, and not just to a letter, because that will not give you joy. Did the law produce within anybody righteousness? Not one, brethren. Why do you think it's going to produce joy? Why? You think, you don't think it'll produce righteousness, but you definitely think it'll produce joy. Why do you keep looking to it? It's not. you got to look to the spirit-empowered Jesus Christ and to His men and His church. 
You need to walk with them. You need to live with them. You need to hurt with them. You need to enjoy things together. You need to laugh together. You need to cry. All those different things. You got to do that. We need to look to Christ, brethren. That's what it means to look to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to see Him as our living, loving example and to do as He did. That's how He goes above it. That's how He goes beyond it. It's not just something written down for us to look at anymore. It's something for us to see. Behold. Beholding your God. Beholding how you ought to look like Him. Third brother. And He gives it right to you here. I, I, these are these ones. I know Manny said it the couple weeks before and then Nick said it. I don't have much to add to these. But let's just listen to these. Verse 11. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brother, that talks about what I just tied into. If we're going to do those things, if we're going to be content with the measure of faith that we've been given to, if we're going to look to Christ and not the law to find our joy in walking in genuine love, then we will outdo one another in honoring one another. What kind of place? Have you ever been into a place, a church, where they honored people like that? And I'm not talking about Golden Globes and everyone getting dressed and walking up and receiving their award and giving a speech. I'm talking about God-given, excuse me, God-given, God-driven honor in the church of honoring the men. There may have been no speeches. There may, may have been no words. But I'll tell you what, brother, and I'll just say this. I can point to almost every single, actually, every single man in here, whether Sergio, it's you, and only been here less than a year, or it's Nick, who I've known probably the longest in Manny. I don't need to give you guys an award. You have my honor right here. That honor is something that is earned because of walking and acting in genuine love for the body. That honor is there. And we will outdo in showing honor to one another when we act like the things that you do and the way that you walk is honorable. So that if someone says something against you, brothers, I stand up for you. Because that's the man that I honor. Because he walks like Jesus Christ and he has genuine love for these people. Same thing with Drew. Same thing with Sergio. Same thing with you, brother. I know you just got here. But that is what we want. We want to outdo one another in showing honor. Not in fancy awards and ceremonies, but by knowing that when you see that brother walk in, you show him the respect that you show him. Women, when you walk in, that the women in this church and the men in this church show the kind of honor and respect that is required and beckoned by Jesus Christ for walking in his steps. It's because it's something we want to see more and more. It's something we want to cultivate, and you honor the things you want cultivated. That's why people, they grow a garden and they go, hey, look at look what I've grown. Right? They, they like to show people, they're like, hey, you know, God's, you know, screw this whole, this thing's awesome, right? And then they, they don't just stop from there, they keep it up, they keep doing it. Brother, we ought to do the same. Next one. This is my translation for this. Do not be slothful in zeal, or I said, cast off the slothful spirit. Because listen to what he says. Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. So what's the intended idea? Your slothfulness is because you've picked up a slothful spirit. And that slothful spirit is actually endangering your love being genuine. Because genuine love, as per Paul, does not mope and hang around in slothfulness. It rages with fervency. It is like fire, brethren. It is warm to the touch, but it also is hot in its energy. It, it is producing something. That genuine love is not just a word-based, I got genuine love for you, brethren. I know the right words to say, brethren. 
It is a throwing off of slothfulness and serving the Lord. He says, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I think the two ideas are the same. That is what you do. You want to be fervent in spirit? Serve the Lord. How do you do that? You serve the body. Brethren, I got nothing else for that. It's that easy. Next. Understand your circumstances the way in which God does. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Brethren, one thing that you have to cultivate in order to continually to love genuinely in the Christian life, to look more like Jesus Christ, is not just to take some of the bare commands and then just apply them. It's to know them and meditate upon them. Because some of the, I, I don't know what tribulation is going to come in your life. I don't know what hope you're going to be rejoicing in. I don't know what you're going to need to be constant in prayer about. But I know you're going to need to do all three things. But brother, you need to know those three things because circumstances will come and you need to understand your circumstances. You need to be able to grapple with them. When circumstances come and they put you in a, you know, a three-point hold, you don't have these in your mind. You don't. But if they come your way and you wrestle them and you rejoice and you pray and you are zealous for these things, well then brethren, it's because you've understood your circumstances and you have shoved them into conformity with Jesus Christ. You've beaten them down. You will not let anything control you except Jesus Christ. You'll rejoice in hope. You'll be patient in tribulation. You'll be constant in prayer. You'll contribute to the needs as you see need and see the time that is fitting and seek to show hospitality. And brother, I can't spell all those things out for you. I just can't. But notice how, he, notice how he begins this. He says, love genuinely and then contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Maybe I'm forcing this, but I see that as a very beautiful inclusio. Nice, nice chiasm right here. So, brethren, that's all we have. We look to Christ. We love one another genuinely. And we love another with brotherly affection. Think about what that means to say contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Those are words you use for family. They're not words you use for strangers. You, know, you do not use those words for strangers. You may invite someone into your home and you may help them out. But hospitality, providing to the needs of the saints, serving God's people, it's because they're your family, brethren. That's why you do those things. It's because you love one another with brotherly affection. And it's because you have seen what genuine love looks like because you've seen it in Jesus Christ. So how are we going to encounter hypocrisy? How are we going to love genuinely? Brother, look at Jesus Christ and imitate Him. Church, look at one another and imitate what you see of Jesus Christ in them. And then love genuinely. Let's pray.